Hey there, this is Pam Perry, Speakers Magazine show, uh, Vonda Page. She is going to be in an upcoming issue of Speakers Magazine, and she is known as the Radical Results Mentor. And she's really working with leaders who are looking to level up and managers making moves. Vonda is a bold, brilliant, badass business consultant, global speaker, multimedia host, entrepreneur, and unapologetic anti-Blackness alleviation vanguard. Through mastermind, mentorships, masterclasses, and memberships, Vonda equips decision makers with techniques, tools, and time to move from leadership to legendary status. Vonda is the CEO of Radical Change, LLC, a boutique leadership guidance firm that curates learning spaces accessible from all places. I love the alliteration in her bio. It is like on fire. <laughs> that right there is a million dollar. I love it. It rhymes like poetry. I'm like, this is you. So we were talking a little bit before we got started. I was like, she is on fire before I even read the bio, right? Because this is something that is part of her DNA. I want to ask you right away, Vonda, are you a black revolutionary? Damn right. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize. Unapologetic about it. That's it. So I just want you to know that it's okay. You know, there, there, there could have been like people that followed, I don't know. I would have been the one following Marcus Garvey. Okay. That would have been me. Okay. I'm just saying. So that's, that's my thing. And I would have been probably following more Malcolm than Martin. Okay. Cause I'm a revolutionary too. A lot of people don't think I am. Don't let the blonde lighter hair fool you. Right. That's what I say. Don't <laughs> let it fool color. you. <laughs> it's just color, but let's just really dig into your story about why you, I love that go from um, leadership to legendary and you are a leader, you're a thought leader. So a lot of times when you are a thought leader, you are blazing that trail where it hasn't been before. And sometimes people don't like it, but we know that people who are thought leaders or people who are leaders like you are making the mark. So give us a little bit of your background story of how and why this all came about. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Pan. First of all, I am so excited to be here and I'm so excited to be included in Speakers Magazine because you have had some amazing, brilliant, badass black, black women. People. And I'm just telling you, like to be, you know, like in company with some of those folks, like, oh my goodness, it's it's an honor. So I just had to do that first and say thank you so much. Oh, um, you're welcome. Amazing. And just I'm just I'm super excited. I'm I'm one of those people who uh who like follow quietly, you know what I mean, and watch people <laughs> stop and like, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yep. In, in the most amazing complimentary <laughs> way. So I just wanted to put that out there for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to put that out. Oh so but, but, I love I love that. That that's fine because you know that's how I do a lot of people. And then sometimes when we do that, it's like you when you do meet them, you feel like you know them. And so that's how it was when we immediately kind of connected because we do that. And I'm very authentic on things that I post. I'm unapologetic that Speakers Magazine is for the premier uh black speaker. We're partnered with Black Speakers Network. We, we really try to lift up our people because there has been so much um, not equal, right? 
So one of the things that people don't like that you talk about is dumping DEI. But before we get to that, because she's like, dump DEI, which is upcoming book, it's on pre-sale right now. But let's tell us about how you got in this whole space in the first place. I, I sure will. And I really, I love talking about it because what I realized is that, you know, I have been a leader since first grade. I was actually mm -hmm. president of my first grade class. And <laughs> I was. And you know what is so funny about it is, so <laughs> I, I, I have no shame in my game at all. First and foremost, I'm from Philadelphia. So people who know people from Philly, you know that we are straight up authentic people. We're going to tell Jill you what Scott. we think. We're going to tell you what we feel. Jill Scott, Jilly from Philly, you know, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she's from the neighborhood where, like, my family is from, like North Philly, right? And so um, people from Philadelphia are very straight up people. Uh, Philly is a fighting town and you could take that in like fighting in a rocky kind of a way, but you can take it mm -hmm. in stand up for what you believe in type of way. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. because I grew up in Philadelphia and I grew up in a I, I say a fighting town, but also grew up black and grew up in the 70s. Right. Mm -hmm. I um, was so fortunate that I had probably 95 percent black women teachers wow. from from first grade through 11th grade, I probably had 90, 90% black teachers, 85% were women for sure, um, mm -hmm. maybe 5% black men. But if you just think, right, growing up in the 70s and having black women teachers, so these women, a lot of them have been educated at HBCUs because that's the only place they could get in. A few mm -hmm. of them have been educated and were the first, right, at some of the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons and places like that. But they were all revolutionary in terms of the way that they went about education because they brought in the writings of Marcus Garvey and W.E. Du Bois yeah. and Phyllis Wheatley. And let me tell you, my first foray into being interested in politics, my very first politician that I fought for, that I knew, that I like, you know, uh, studied up and was like, oh, my goodness, was Shirley Chisholm. So oh you want to talk about yes. black power and you want to talk right. about being a politics junkie. So that's how I really got started from a leadership position, because I knew I mean, I was three years old when she ran when she first ran for president. Right. In 72. Right, right. But but being uh, in school in 74, 75, 76, studying her story, watching her in Congress, watching Jimmy Carter. I call him my first president because, you know, right. the first that I knew you about. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Watching all of that, that really got into me at a really early age. And at an early age, I knew, right, that it was important to fight and stand up for yourself. And I also knew that as a black person, that's in my lineage, that's in my legacy for us to fight for our freedom when we don't have it. And so yes. and fight for equality and fight yeah. for equality. And, yeah. and so that's been part of me like since first grade. And so when I think about like the evolution, right, and how I got to the point where I said, I want to help people move from leader to legend. And I'm going to use, right, these tools and techniques that I've built over a career of 35 plus years in helping leaders do it. And so the way we kind of get to here is 2020, right, it was just a, a major shift, right, for a lot of folks. And it was mm -hmm. a wake up in a lot of ways. And the thing that woke me up the most is 
I realized that I couldn't do the work that was meaningful and necessary inside the walls of anybody's corporation because nobody was going to give me the permission, right, to lead in the way that was necessary to really do the thing. So I said, you know what, even though I had, you know, I had started um, and actually Radical Change is my um, my third company because I had started consulting years ago. But you know how when you go, um, Dr. Pam, you go in and out and you dip in consulting, you dip out, you go back to corporate because they they tell you everything and make you. And so you but you offer you can't refuse, (laughs) you can't refuse. But then when you realize you can't be you. You can't do what you know you are put on this earth to do. And I know I was put on this earth not only to fight right for my own freedom and the freedom of other black people and the equity and equality right of people. But I can't sit back and watch wrong and harm be done and not speak up. And so what Mm -hmm. I realized was I have to monetize this genius. Right. And I have to take what was was what I was using and 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 bought, letting uh, corporations borrow right my intellectual property, and I needed to put it to work for myself and mm-hmm. for the world in a way that I know is going to have a better, broader, and deeper impact. That's it. That's why you do the master classes or the you're the radical change yep. mentor. It's more it's deeper than change management. You call it leadership change, or it's more than than DEI. It's um, there's a, a, a person, uh, I think it's Catrice Jackson. I follow her as well. When 2020 came, um, she really talked a lot about that, um, you know, with the George Floyd murder and all of that. And so a lot of people became woke, I guess you would say. And then at a lot of times also to the other people became woke and then it became very, very adversarial. So tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on right now, I guess you would say, in terms of the the way that you want to explain about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. It's a buzzword, especially since George Floyd, a lot of companies are throwing millions of dollars to the DEI uh, agenda and that sort of thing. But you say dump DEI, and it's something deeper than that that you really want to explain to the world. Absolutely. I say dump DEI, Dump Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, for so many reasons, Dr. Pam. First and foremost, I have to help people, right, go back to how we even got to this point. Because when you are looking at the current state of affairs, right, on any topic, it's always good, right, to use historical context, to use historical information and data. And so the data point that I really like to share with people, what I feel is at the premise, right, of of why I think we should dump DEI, really goes back to 1963. In 1963, the Equal Pay Act was signed. Mm. And that Equal Pay Act says that women who are doing the same job as a man will get the equal pay as the man. So if I am a plumber and John Smith is a plumber, Vonda Page and John Smith shall make both the same amount of money. Okay. Now that should be fair. Right. That should be fair. Right. If I'm doing the exact same job as, as somebody else, we should make the same money. However, in reality, that is not how it works. Now, so the Equal Pay Act, right, 1963. Think about the time period we're talking about. In 1963, we got the Equal Pay Act. Nine years before that, we had Brown 
versus Board of Education. 64, 65, right? We got the civil rights, civil rights movement had been already in the movement, but we have yeah. all these things happening at one time, right? Civil rights are being, uh, act being passed, right? Different things are happening at the mm -hmm. same time that the Equal Pay Act is passed. So what is happening when black people are asking for voting rights, when black people are asking for fair wages, when black people are asking for fair opportunities for housing and loans and everything else, right? There's always this pushback. And mm -hmm. at the same time, as the pushback occurs with black people fighting and asking for our equality, there's always all this other stuff happening in the background, right? So when you're talking about women saying, okay, they wanna be paid equal to men, nobody is arguing that anybody should be paid the same amount. But if we said that in 1963, women and men will be making the same amount for the same job, how, 59 years later, are black women making 58 cents on the dollar for the same job a white man is doing? Black women are making 58 cents on the dollar compared to 95 cents that Asian women are making. And black women are still making that same 58 cents while white women and uh, uh, Filipino and um, Pacific Islander women are making 80 and 81 cents. Hmm. How is it, Dr. Pam, that after 59 years, black women are at the bottom of the pay range when it comes to jobs compared to those other groups if pay equity is a thing, if gender equity and gender pay is a thing, right? So mm -hmm. all of these reports come out all the time from SHRM, from LinkedIn, because I did a three-part series looking at LinkedIn's report. Um who else? Leanin.org, McKinsey, right? All of these names, I'm sure you've heard, and at least every year, right, around this time and in the spring and summer, right, they, they introduce the results of these reports. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Sherms. It um, talked about real estate, I believe it is, about the housing and things like that, and how that's always had a lot of inequity in terms of, um, even I just saw a, a video where, uh, a, a black person went in and they didn't get the, the house. And then her husband who was white went in and they offered the house. I mean, just like, it's so, we're talking about like in 2020, 2020 and beyond, right? It's still going on. And so when that happened in 2020, um, you really took a pivot. You went back and forth, started Radical Results, um, LLC. And it made it, you made it your mission to really work with, leaders of corporations that are uh, really wanting to change or HR executives or who is who is the main person that you're really working with and in, in, in trying to do this radical change with? So in the, in the beginning, right, I was really focused on corporations. I was really focused on decision makers. I was focused on people that are working in the C-suite, right? People who have right. decision-making authority and decision-making power. Well, yes. you know, after... You know, you look at the reports and the data, right? The reports and the data always say we have far to go. We there's a broken rung on the ladder. Women still are being under, you know, underrepresented. 
Well, the bottom line is that those same people in power, those same people in the C-suite, those same people in the decision-making positions, they have the power to make equity a reality. They yeah. have the power to give women a whole dollar. They have a power to give black women our 42 cents. The problem is, is that we are using diversity, equity, inclusion, right, as a distractionary, exploitative, and literally ignorant uh, uh, effort to distract from the fact that it's all about making sure black women stay at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. Woo! That is it is. And that's, we've been doing this for 59 years. What job can you have, Dr. Pam, for 59 years and fail at it and, and still talk about, oh, we can do this and we can do that? Where is it that you can get reduced uh, uh, um, results, right? A reduced return on results. So you know people are spending millions and millions and millions on diversity, equity, inclusion. So why mm -hmm. is it that people that look like me and you, if we're working in corporate spaces, that they owe us 42 cents for every dollar. Why is it that when a black woman speaks about the 42 cents that we are owed, that we are being underpaid, that I would get silenced? So fast forward to LinkedIn and why I haven't been on LinkedIn now for about two and a half to three weeks is because when I posted the SHRM data, the specific SHRM data that pointed to Asian women now at 95 cents on the dollar. They have crawled on our backs and stomped on our heads with their foot in our neck and they're at 95 cents. And I'm supposed to not talk about it? Mm -hmm. That's not and gonna it's, happen. And, and, it's, and it's real, it's real, it's real data. It's a data point. It's something that the SHRM, you know, and so that's one of the reasons why they had the Equal Pay Day for Women's Equal Pay Day not too long ago. And and that's been like a thing. And I see a lot of people really talking about, you know, this whole DEI movement. But you're saying that it really comes down to money and racism, basically. It does. And it's even deeper than money and racism. It, it comes down to the anti-blackness of it all. Because... Mm -hmm. When we talk about racism, what we do is we give other people from other backgrounds a pass, right? So if we talk about white supremacy or we talk about racism, right, an Asian person can say, well, I'm Asian. Um, people are racist against me, too. Ah. Okay. Well, there are four billion Asian people in the world. Um, and maybe you get discriminatory treatment, yes. You get mocked and teased and made fun of and, um, you know, those, those insulting type, yes. But are you in a socioeconomic subjugative position? Wow. No. Yes. That no, is. Yes. They are not. That's a whole, that's a whole different, that's, that's, that is basically racism and money. And, and that, that, that's when it, it really does Sometimes when I think about um, Jesse Jackson, um, when he basically le leads sometimes a movement, he always talks about, you know, boycotting and that sort of thing. He says, hurt them, you know, hurt them where their pockets are, you know, that kind of thing. So if you're upset about the way, I don't know, a certain company is treating African-Americans and African-Americans will stop spending money. That was just a simple thing. That was like, you know, he was part of the civil rights. He marched with Martin Luther King and all that kind of stuff. But really, he realized the economics of it. And then even more so, all of us need to understand the economics of it. 
So when someone bans you off of um, LinkedIn or LinkedIn, you know, just says, oh, you got too many complaints or whatever, when you're speaking the truth, all of us should just be able to say, okay, I know there's some black people that work in LinkedIn. Just let's check this out. Why is, she, why is this happening to her? And that's why it helps when we have other black people that are in C-suites that can really, you know, go to bat for you and really just say, hey, that's not right. Because that's how I am. I'm always like, hey, that's not right. We got to do something about it, especially when it has to do with my own. It's like, oh, no, no. And so Speakers Magazine was created because it really was a way to showcase black speakers. There's another organization, I won't say the name, they always showcase white speakers and they're always older white men. And I'm like, we've got great speakers, like better speakers. speakers. Better thought leader speakers, radical speakers, right? So, you know, radical results speakers. So it's like, this is what we're doing. And so from time to time, you know, you have people that'll say, well, is it just for um, Black people? Yes. Yes. And it's okay. And I love okay. it. And it should be. And it should yeah. be. And and let me tell you, here's, here's something. So, you know, it's so interesting. I, I have, I like to say, a love-hate relationship with Jesse Jackson because the Barack Obama situation, right? Oh, and, I, yeah. and I'm a politics junkie, so I've been following him. And <laughs> is, I met him when I was in high school uh, when he was running for president. And um, and I actually, you know, did some 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 campaigning and worked for him. And I actually wow. did some campaigning for Dukakis, the Dukakis-Benson campaign and mm -hmm. the Mondale-Ferraro campaign. So when I tell you like politics, I, but I would never get involved in it now because I have a whole nother mission. But right. I want to talk about two of the, a couple of things that, that, that you brought up too, because they're so so such good things to talk about. Number one, when it comes to black folks being in the C-suite, that is a whole conversation that I would love to have in a much like deeper and extended way. But we got some different types of black folks in the C-suite, and, and 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 I'm going to talk about it. Okay, one of the types of folks that we have in the C-suite that are black is that person who is there to gatekeep and protect all of the white power structures and the white systems. Um, and that person, you know, you could call them a, a, a coon, you can call them a gatekeeper, but those people exist in the upper echelons of corporate. And we got to talk about one of the mm -hmm. reasons that DEI isn't really effective in a lot of these big organizations and these big corporations, which is why I pivoted away from even looking at them for my clients. But we'll talk about that in a second. Um, because you have people in these positions, whether they are chief people officers, chief diversity officers, chief human resources officers, it doesn't matter. You have people in these positions that are put in these positions with the black face to particularly be there as a representative, but to uphold the status quo. You would have to tell me, because you would have That's to tell it. me, how would we have black women working in HR and chief diversity officer roles, but in those same companies, black women are making 58 cents on the dollar in comparison to the white man doing the same job. Comparison I don't understand to the Asian women, the, because those people don't care about black people. Those people have their own uh, anti-blackness issues that they have to focus in and unpack. Anti-blackness is is how you feel about black people and and being in a position where you feel like you can categorize black people and gatekeep and say what black person deserves this and that so if a black person uses aave or has uh i don't know uh uh box braids or whatever style you feel is too black 
you will gatekeep and say, well, that person is too black to have a position in this company or they're too this or they're too that. And I'm going to tell you, the book, Dump DEI, the first title of the book, which I wrote in 2020, by the way, um, was called uh, I, the first title of the book. <laughs> it was a little it was out there. I called it um, uh, Coons and Karens in the Corporate Kitchen. Why <laughs> DEI was destined to fail from the floor. Right. So wow. I love that. Coons, I love that. I love that from a standpoint, not necessarily for a title of a book. It's a little bit too long. But I understand about Coons and Karens. It's just those those type of things, especially in 2020. It was uh, the Karen thing that went viral and and the, the whole that that whole part of that, because this is a thing that I kind of believe sometimes that I don't know, you know, miseducation of, of, of black folks where this comes from or but when there's someone who is very high up that is a black person in an organization or they get really fast tracked up, they think sometimes that they're like the only one and they're so special. And so they don't bring people with them and they feel like if I brought people with them, that then that means that their power would go away or they wouldn't be so special. So they want to be like the person that the, the white, the, the black person, that all the white people love thinking that if you brought other black people with you, then that love for them would be less. It's, it's, it's a real thing. And I noticed that like really a long time ago when I would try to go into different organizations and then maybe like a black person that would sit on the board and they have some clout or whatever. And it's like, hey, you know, like, you know, we get that look like, and then they're like, oh, no, no, you're not gonna mess my thing up. <laughs> right. As opposed to, as opposed to if I eat, you eat, we all eat. And exactly. so that's a white supremacist mindset. And that mm -hmm. white supremacist mindset is filled with a lot of self-loathing and a lot of self-hate. Now, yes. you know, it's funny. I've, I'm a person, I've been going to therapy for years. I was talking to my daughter today who's 20. And I was trying to think, like, I've been in consistent therapy at least since she was four, right? So I've, I've been going to therapy for a long time. And one of the things that I've learned in therapy in unpacking all my own, my own garbage and my own all that is that people who have yet to unpack their own stuff, right? Can't help but to constantly make you the victim of their stuff. And what yes, I've learned, and one of the reasons that I pivoted, right? From trying to help CEOs within corporations um and and those people understand right how to uh you know really um look at this stuff is that they have their own things that they haven't dealt with they have their own trauma and own history and own experiences and things that they haven't even dealt with because white supremacy the the whole construct of whiteness right tells you that you first of all you things have to be perfect Everything has to be a certain way. There's structures, there's rules, there's systems. Everything is designed, right, to uphold, right, that power for that small percentage, right? Them same people that Marcus Garvey and Jesse Jackson been telling us about for 50, 60, 70 years that is all about economics. And it's all about the 1%, right, who have used white supremacy, anti-blackness, and racism to control us all. We're mm -hmm. not going to and extract ourselves from capitalism. We know that. But right. at the very least, right, Dr. Pam, we could like work together to, to, to build each other up 
And when we have those positions in high up in corporate America, instead of gatekeeping and treating it like a pie, right, and using that white supremacist tactics, why not go back to more community and more collective, right, ways of, of, of working together as black people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and amassing some power together inside these companies. And then, you know, brilliant, bold black women like us won't have to leave companies, right? We can stay in and help other companies be great, right? Instead of having to help them from the outside be great. So yeah. what I ended up doing was switch to really now I'm focusing on colleges and university leadership oh, and helping okay. academians, right? Who are the real thought leaders who are coming to the forefront saying, these are what words mean. This is what, this is how to interpret data. This is how to really take what we are learning and what we know and apply it so that we can do things for change. Because companies, right, and leaders within companies often, they have a vested interest in keeping things the same. Mm -hmm. But people who are in academia, people who are in higher learning, people that are in you know, government and in nonprofit sectors, right, are oftentimes a little more forward thinking in yeah. terms of thinking about other people and not just thinking about the bottom line. And so right. I want to really work with those people who want to drive results. They want to have employee retention, right? They want mm -hmm. employees to stay. They don't want to just hire people, get a black face in the door, treat them like garbage and they leave three months later. Okay. But if you don't change how you're approaching diversity, equity, inclusion, and start focusing on what the issue is, which is anti-blackness. Anti-blackness mm -hmm. is why you can choke man for nine and a half minutes while people cry and beg you to stop. Anti-blackness mm -hmm. is why a black woman can complain about her salary and then everybody dogpile and say, well, shut up because, you know, this group is oppressed and this group is oppressed and this group is oppressed. No, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not having it. Mm -hmm. Here's a, um, a professor of uh, Africana Studies, Kamu uh, Kenyatta at, at Lafayette College. I believe he's probably near you, near Philly. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talks a lot about that as well. And that is one of the things. He's a thought leader within academia. And part of it is he is uh, training minds, you know, changing minds. And, and really, they're pulling the data and, and, and really telling people how to interpret the data and really making that change there versus like at the corporate area. And I kind of can see what you're saying about dump DEI because it needs to be deeper into that and go into it for, for real. So you have something that's going on at bondapage.com. I want you to talk about it that I want to say it's a, um, you have a, uh, or did you already start it? It's an event. So I have a couple of things going on. So the one, well, Three things going on right now um, as we speak. And actually tonight at 842 Eastern time, I have okay. a masterclass going on. And this okay. masterclass specifically is called Where's My 42 Cents? And in uh -huh. this masterclass, right, I am along with my colleague, Tammy Triolo, we are like really digging into right? This latest leanin.org report. And that leanin.org report, it really brings out why we need to dump DEI. So I have a Crowdcast channel at crowdcast.io slash bonds page. 
And that Crowdcast channel is where I am hosting all things virtual related to Dump DEI, right? Okay. And so the master classes are free. So people can go to crowdcast.io slash Vonda page and find me there and they can sign up for that. Um, and come to those. But the big event that I'm so excited about is mm -hmm. November 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. Dr. Oh. Pam, I'm doing Destination Dump DEI Live. And okay. yes, it is a three-day event where people will actually, on the first day, we're going to talk about DEI and, and basically how people's dreams for DEI, you know, went by the wayside, right? And, 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 and let people really unpack that and really talk about what we thought DEI was supposed to be, why it didn't make it to that point, and then start really thinking about the destiny for it at that point. On day two, we are really going to get into mapping out and designing. What do you imagine when you think diversity, mm -hmm. equity, inclusion in your organization, in your church, in your community, in your in your government? What does that really look like? So on day two, we're going to design your DEI destiny. And then on day three, that is going to be the best, baddest day. On that day, we are going to actually activate people's individual anti-blackness alleviation plan. So at the end of this three days, people are going to walk away with their own personalized plan for what are they going to do to alleviate mm -hmm. anti-blackness. So we get to uncover and learn all of that. And I have two amazing colleagues that are supporting me um, that are going to um, just really uh, help bring this thing uh, just to another another level. And I'm just excited because people have an amazing opportunity to not only move right from leader, but be a legend okay. in terms of doing this work in a way that's going to be meaningful, that's going to be measurable, and that is going to matter. Mm -hmm. And so who is it? Who is the event for the live event for? Who are the people this, that this, live, of, sign up for this that? live event is for the live event destination dump DEI live is for the fresh, frustrated, fed up and fatigued DEI professionals, practitioners mm -hmm. and decision makers. So first right. and foremost, it's for folks working in the area, working in DEI who are saying, I am tired of pulling my damn hair out. I am just over this. Why isn't this working? working. Well, let mm -hmm. me help you. Let's mm -hmm. get into it because the why it isn't working is not your fault. It is that the way that it was designed, the way we are looking at it, we are not looking at it from the lens of anti-blackness. That lens of anti-blackness, what we have to realize, though, is very profitable for a lot of folks. So not only do we want the DEI practitioners, the uh, professionals and decision makers, I want the attorneys working in the EEO space. I yeah. want the, the people that work in the EEO space within governments, but more particularly, I want deans, uh, deans, uh, heads of departments yes. and uh, university and college provosts, boards of regents and chancellors, those folks, those folks that are at 
the foremost of thought leadership, those folks that are researching this stuff every day, and those folks that are training up this next uh, generation of people. That's who we got to talk to. And we have got to talk to the college kids. So I'm going to be doing this first event in Washington, D.C. The exact location will be announced next week. But they could could, yeah, they could still go to VondaPage.com and just basically and check get I want to tell people to go to dump dei.com dei.com so go to dump dei.com to register and the other place I do want to send people to is right um to pre-order the book and they can do that that's at bondapage.com slash book or they can go right to the site Okay, cool, cool. So mm-hmm. dumpdei.com to register and then find the page is all things because that's where you're going to, that's where you hang out. That's where you live. That's how you can contact you and all that. I love it. I love it. And one of the main things that I love is your energy, your passion about it, the authenticity from, from like you said, what you were put here on this earth to do. This is your mission. This is your vision. This is what you're executing um, in different places and, 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 you know, with the schools and really helping those who are in the DEI, DEIB, whatever, you know, that whole space of where people are now because corporations know that there's some issues with this, but you're digging to the root of it. So I just thank you so much for, for doing it and doing it and stepping out boldly and doing it because you could be a person that's just going to be quietly sitting in corporate and just say, hey, you know, I got mine. But no, it's like, you know, something inside of you made you say, hey, I got to step up and really do this. And it's great. It's great. I love your website. So please go to her website, uh, go there, look at it. You will see, you can feel her energy in that, on that website about how she feels about where um, we're going with the anti-Blackness, just really that whole movement to alleviate that. And when we say anti-Blackness, meaning that racism um, is going to, be whenever there's different races, but anti-blackness is from the standpoint where economically and socioeconomically, we're always at the bottom of the totem pole. So it's time for us to rise up and it's, and it's going to have to come from thought leaders like Vonda. So thank you so much for a joining speakers magazine show. I will see you uh, in the magazine upcoming very, very soon. Um, but at the meantime, too, I just want to say, just keep up the really good work and just keep all that you're doing. So with that, I am Pam Perry and we are out. All right. God bless. <laughs>